Today we are joined with Grace Griffin for the new Millennial on Down series I'm doing to help people like me navigate their careers, finance, and global behavioral. In this episode, we discuss how Grace went from working at Pizza Hut to working in clinical research, owning a house, and navigating mental health. This is the episode for anyone stuck in a job they don't love, want to learn the strategies to navigate a career, or are hungry to learn about another person who passionately just wants to make a change in the world. Also, check out our podcast, Read It and Screech. Let's stay curious learn about Grace, a Pizza Hut tyrant, ADHD diagnosis, and more on this episode of Learning with Lowell. Well, now you work in uh, research, you have a, a, a degree, you have all these different things. You had very humble beginnings as <laughs> someone who worked at Pizza Hut and as someone yeah. who has never worked at Pizza Hut, but it consumed Pizza Hut. I'm sure there's lots of stuff there that I don't want to know about, but I want to know about it today. So start, starting there, what was what was life at Pizza Hut? What did you do? And uh, what, yeah, what was that like? I thought it was really fun. Uh, hmm. So <laughs> I met some interesting people, some people that I'm still like friends with on Facebook now. I'm always really proud of all of us who have kind of made our way. <laughs> um, so I was a waitress. So we did like just kind of regular wait, acti- wait staff activities. And then we would also have to kind of help back in the kitchen um, here and there. And a lot of, there's not as many like sit down Pizza Hut restaurants now that were mm. older. Uh, but at the time, like it was, just like any other restaurant I had a lot of fun the tips were terrible because like it's pizza and people kind of don't even associate that you're supposed to tip sometimes like a a waitress in that environment even though it's a sit-down restaurant just like everything else um some people would be really rude um but it was I just thought it was a lot of fun I just like I'm a very social person and so waiting tables is like that constant release of like dopamine from interacting with people and so I did have a lot of fun with it Uh, something interesting was that my boss she she was one of the nastiest people I've ever worked for um considering we're at Pizza Hut I feel like we're all on the same level like we can all just be aware of where we are right now and she was you would think that she was like running the kitchen at the White House she was so strict and so awful and such a bitch and she was so nasty that she put like um we would have to make like a certain amount of money and then if you didn't declare enough money on your tips the restaurant is supposed to compensate you so that you make at least minimum wage um so you're not rolling in it they're only giving you like maybe ten dollars that day of whatever you didn't make and so at one point we had to work through a hurricane and so I remember like having to run and slosh through the rain to just get in the door. And then we, of course, had tons and tons of um, delivery orders, but nobody came in to eat because who's going to go out in that? So we had like two, one or two tables for the whole shift, like two days straight. So for both of those days, they were supposed to compensate us for that money because we were there and we were working. So they were supposed to give us our $7 an hour, you know. And she printed off people's tip declarations and she posted it next to the time clock and she put on there if you can't make at least minimum wage i'll just find someone else who will even though we only had two tables so like unless you're gonna eat those people for for the extra 14 dollars or whatever nothing was gonna happen and somebody called the labor board on her and we all got like 1500 dollars cash or a check for 1500 bucks from pizza hut uh, because of how illegal that was, what she did. At any point in this conversation, if you find value in it, please subscribe. 
it is hugely beneficial and it tells Google and everyone out there that this is content worth watching. Thank you for everyone thus far who has commented, liked, subscribed, and told their friends. It's well, that's where I started. Oh, she was awful. And I tried really hard to be, I just like really believe so strongly that like you should be nice to people and that people are like kind under all of their, you know, terrible exterior. But she was just awful. And I actually saw her not that long ago. It's been 10 years and I saw her working at a different restaurant and she was still being a bitch to the other people there. Yeah, I was, so, uh, I, re I recently was at, uh, a Quadoba or a subway or something like that and the the lady she was like a, a little high like i think it was a high schooler she's just a young little kid and mm -hmm. um a young lady i don't know if, if one's like condescending but like just a, a, a little like a young person and she was shaking as she was taking mm -hmm. people's orders and i was like what's going on like because you, you can tell when someone's scared and yeah. there's something going on and, and i was just like i was like hey take your time i'm not in a rush I'm not gonna. Mm -hmm. uh, if someone just got done yelling, you, you just you just take your time. Like, get a drink, drink of water. I'm I'm cool. Like, we're cool here. Let's like mm -hmm. escalate. Mm -hmm. And and she started relaxing. Like, oh god, thank you. Like, I just it's been mm -hmm. one of those days. And the manager comes out, and as soon as the manager starts coming, out, she starts shaking again. And because like the woman just starts like verbally like whipping her, and it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? She's doing this bad. Like, she's in like go faster, go faster, go faster. Mm -hmm. We have such a big liner and all these different things that she's doing wrong. It's like she's a young lady. Okay, mm -hmm. if you want her to go faster, how about you go over here and help her out? Because she can't, she only go at a certain speed. If she's doing something mm -hmm. that she'd be doing better, now is not the time to ride mm -hmm. her on it. Like, go help mm -hmm. her later. Like, hey, here's some, here's a better right. technique or something, right? Right. And so, uh, my wife and I uh, made it our mission to contact corporate and complain really? about the manager. Yeah, and they got fired. We even we even heard back from corporate saying that person was fired because multiple people were, were saying it was inappropriate. And mm -hmm. I think also probably the employees. I like that about uh, modern employees. It's like if you treat them wrong, it does seem like. They will they'll complain they'll say something which is really nice uh mm. because no one should be treated that way life's too short and like just imagine like going in your whole day shaking because you're so mm -hmm. scared because uh, maybe a it, yeah or a burrito or a subway or something like that yeah. it was terrible but yeah. um I, I i went in there recently and the, the manager wasn't there and everyone was happy and they, they were like laughing and stuff mm -hmm. it's like what a change i didn't see the lady mm -hmm. in there but i i, mm -hmm. I like to think she had a better life <laughs> or at least she's oh, in a better yeah. place now no, yeah. like if you're getting up and you're getting dressed and you're going to make sandwiches, you deserve to do that without being abused. Yeah. All of us yeah. do, but I'm just like, what about that? Like, what about like a retail level job or a food service industry job? It's like, here's the abuse line. You've fallen under it. That's not, <laughs> that's not how that works whatsoever. Yeah. I think uh, sometimes I wonder, like, because I've had that stuff happen to me when I was working for other people. Um, it's usually when you're younger, too. But then, mm -hmm. you know, if you're in certain positions, why are you doing this? Who did this to you? Who hurt you? Like, I think it's all the time. Like, who, who hurt you? I know. I know. They were I'm taught like, that that was appropriate, you know? And to be perfectly honest, like, sometimes, you know, it's frustrating for whatever reason to be somewhere and, like, the wait time's extra long or whatever. But typically, I'm just like, I just won't come back. Yeah. I'm not going to, like, fuss at somebody. Unless there's, like, just an egregious, like, you didn't do your job. And my life is now extremely complicated because of the one job you were supposed to do. But even then, I'm not going to be nasty. I'm just going to like choose a different location next time. Well, you're a nice person. If, I don't know if you've heard about this, but the the rates of people being just crazy on planes has gone through the roof since COVID. Like the <laughs> more people being fined, people are like biting flight attendants, like attacking. It's it's wild. Ever since COVID, like it's been nuts. Um, but I think the the crouton of a colonel there for people who are younger. 
and have a boss who's treating them this way is I've never experienced a boss treat someone this way who wasn't doing something illegal. So I think that mm, you know, story. You, you don't know what it is, but I bet if you contact the labor board, which here's the thing, if you contact the labor board and they come for you, uh, if they like react to you in that for doing that, that's whistleblowing. You, you're protected uh-huh. for that. You yeah, will get, you get paid. <laughs> yes, yes. So I think that the uh-huh. kernel here is uh, it's great that you guys stuff for yourselves. Said that, hey, that's not appropriate. Someone contact mm-hmm. the labor board, maybe all of you guys together or whatever. And uh, because of that, you got you got your money that you deserve, that you earned. The idea mm-hmm. that you have to like fight for minimum wage when you are gamefully employed is stupid to me. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any other lovely life, life lessons like that <laughs> <laughs> that you learned from Pizza Hut? Well, there was one that stuck with me. Well, there was two. There was this lady who came. She was like half drunk. And she was with her husband or boyfriend. I don't know. And she was like, I just got done fighting a DUI. <laughs> Lesson not learned. <laughs> and she said, did you know that if you eat a paper towel, your breathalyzer test will come back clear? I didn't know that, but I've held on to it just in case. <laughs> I don't drink, but I've held on, I've held on to it. It's been a life lesson uh, from Pizza Hut. And then another time a man came in and uh, I guess I just like came off well-spoken at the time. And he said, you should go to college and do something better with your life. And I was like, who's going to serve you pizza then? Mm-hmm. Like I was uh, just don't let people shit on you for whatever you're choosing to do. Like who's going to serve you your pizza? Who's going to give you and your kid who you've got on the weekends their five dollar personal pan if i'm not here why are you gonna shit on me for or tell me i should do something better with my life i was like if i want to do this and it makes me happy it gives me fulfillment i'm gonna serve you pizza and i thought about doing that forever despite him because just like whatever you're choosing to do if it makes you happy if you wake up and you don't hate yourself and you don't hate your life and you're able to put food in your mouth and your head on a pillow then who don't let nasty old people like that make you feel bad for it yeah i think that uh like some really good advice i've heard on this is why let people who are who are not gonna have to live through the decisions that they're suggesting you do overly guide your life you know like uh if if i say hey you should go left but like fundamentally you're like i think left's kind of a bad deal i'm gonna go right Mm -hmm. right um i'm not gonna be around to suffer through you going left into being a terrible idea you know Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day like you like having the agency to say like no i think i'm gonna do this or whatever Uh, additionally uh i'm not gonna like be specific in what i'm about to say in terms of like your location but like uh you talked about how it's very busy sometimes and maybe Mm -hmm. to really spite the guy you could have like a traveling pizzeria that you do on the weekends (laughs) and you you could you could keep serving people pizza and you can, you can, I don't know if you remember the guy's name, but you call it like Nate's Pizza Shack or wish, Don't Ever Tell Me What to Do. <laughs> Shack. I wish I had jotted it down for that reason specifically. Mm-hmm. But it's just like a weird time or maybe just like a weird demographic of people who just feel like they have the agency to make determinations on about your life and where it's going. And like, who can, people have to work at Pizza Hut. They deserve respect. They deserve to be able to afford to pay their bills and i just i i don't know that's obviously i could still like remember him and how he said that and at the time i was in college but i was like it doesn't matter maybe i'm not in college maybe i love serving pizza maybe it's a fun job and that's what gives me the dopamine to get 
<laughs> through till tomorrow. Why would you say that? And so like, that's what I thought from that was that like, I don't care mm-hmm. what my job is if I'm happy with it. Yeah. And, and nowadays, like you can be like, if you're like the best at something, there's usually like some type of league. I'm surprised by how many leagues exist. There's like a, bar- <laughs> there's a national barista competition. And mm-hmm. Not to put down baristas at all, but I was like, there's a competition where they will like fly you out and you have to make like the perfect uh, <laughs> cup of coffee while you give like a history lesson or something or a speech. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. there's so much going on. But I think mm-hmm. you get like money and all these other things. So like, if you really love the thing you're doing, if you want to be a shoemaker or whatever it is, like mm-hmm. there's usually someone, there's an organization out there that's designed to be, to appreciate you. And if it doesn't exist, maybe you make it yourself. Like the pizza Absolutely. pan appreciation brigade or something. Absolutely. I was talking about doing that for podcasts. Cause I know there's like different streamy awards and stuff, but I was like, it's my dream to make a podcast award show called the potties. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to do that so I can give myself an award because if it's not mm-hmm. there for you, you should make it yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the, was pizza hut your first job or was it just like the first job out of high school? That was the first, that was not my first job. My first job was a cashier at a grocery store. Like my first real job. No, gosh, goes back before that. I just always worked like little jobs because we were poor. And so I had like little jobs. <laughs> the first one I had that was like a W-2 was at a grocery store. I worked there for a year. I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I worked with there. Uh, it's called, like we call it a rite of passage around here because it's like a local grocery store. They're everywhere. And everybody I know is had to work there and so then after that was pizza hut <laughs> and then that was like when i was at my like freshman year of college that's where i was at pizza hut and so it's like uh you stayed there for one year essentially and then you maybe you did something else or how long Basically. were you, how were you okay what was the <laughs> when did you decide to leave was there like something was it the was it the lack of pay or, or, or... <laughs> Oh, I was so happy to leave because of that lady. Was, mm. And I've had bosses that weren't my favorite, but I've really had one that made me want to quit. Mm. Because usually you just like, you know, you're not working with them all the time. You don't work hand in hand with your boss all the time. You can kind of work around it. But she was so bad. I was so glad to not work for her anymore. But I started CNA school uh, to be a, a nurse aide because uh, I wanted to go to nursing school. And so once I, I did that and I did like a work study to get through that, period of time and then I was able to work I did that when I was started that when I was 18 that process and so I worked at Pizza Hut for that time and then as soon as I started the class in the work study I stopped Pizza Hut and I started that and then once I had my CNA I could work like in healthcare mm-hmm. well it, it sounds like you're it's like instead of serving pizza you're serving people mm-hmm. you're still serving right people so it's like yeah yeah so it's, it's <laughs> Kind of same thing. Like you stretch out pizza dough or something. So still kind of doing it. Yeah. And the pizza was better. <laughs> yeah, pizza. Mm-hmm. Well, the how long did you do the nursing aid thing before you found what you were doing now? And is what you're doing now the thing that you love to do? Or are you still exploring to find? Are you still like testing things out to find something that's even better, a better no, fit for I you? I love, I love what I did. So I like to say, like my, I'm 29. And so the decade of like 19 to 20, I'm tired from it. I did everything. So a lot of people ask you because it's not that it's still pretty young. So people love to ask like, what are you going next? I'm nowhere. I'm going home. (laughs) The house that I pay for, (laughs) I'm tired. I want to do things that are fun for me. I finally got a job that um, like 
pays enough that I want it to pay and it's doing stuff that I like to do and I don't want anything else out of it. I'm exactly where I want to be in, in that respect. Um, but I was a CNA for a few years and I was in nursing school and I actually didn't know that I had pretty severe ADHD in nursing school and I had a really, really hard time and I dropped out like when I was close towards the end and I thought I was a huge failure and I just felt awful. And because uh, up until that, I was like just a really high achiever. I just didn't know that that was the reason I couldn't get it. Like it wasn't sticking. And I was really smart. And my teachers were like, you're so smart. We, why don't you get this? And I am really have a really good bedside manner. And it seems like it would be second nature. And it just, it, it wouldn't stick. I couldn't wrap my head around it. And so I thought I was a huge failure. And I just had some stuff go on um, when I was in nursing school. And I wanted to get out of town. And so I actually moved to Atlanta. Uh, I don't care. People know like r- roughly where I live or where I'm from. And I moved to Atlanta and I got a job as a nurse tech because their, their whole like certification is a little bit different than where I'm from. And so their nurse techs worked in tandem with medical assistants. And I was able to take the test after I had a year of work experience, which is kind mm-hmm. of hard to do because most places will not hire you unlicensed as a medical assistant. But because of like the transference of the CNA to the nurse tech and then over to medical assistant. And that's a, I don't know if you know about like the differences between like nursing and medical assisting, but it's like, it's not a full registered nurse, but it has a lot of um, parallel responsibilities to nursing. And so I worked as that for about seven or eight years. So I was only a CN, like a CNA in title for maybe two years uh, or one year. And then I was a medical assistant after that for the rest of the time. Did did learning that you had ADHD, so how did how did you learn that you had it? And then how did they, I think being surrounded by medical people probably would have made that an easier diagnosis. <laughs> so like, I wonder how long they let you suffer before they're like, hey, maybe you have this? <laughs> long time. So, well, I'm very, like just in personality, I speak very authoritatively. And so I mask extremely well. Uh, so people think that if I'm not getting something, it's by choice. I, I'm mm. choosing not to understand it and because I'm like so smart in other ways. And like socially, I get along with people. So I just cover it very well. And so I actually got my bachelor's degree. It was so hard. Some of the classes were so hard. And towards the end of it, it just like stuff was catching up with me. And, um, but I got through it, didn't think that much of it. And then the job that I had, I was working at a pediatric office and we would have like these vaccine schedules that are really complex and hard to get. And then we just had these kind of different processes that we were supposed to go through. And I was so smart. I was good with the patients and I could like, I knew like my drugs, I knew all this stuff. And then I would mess up these like things I've done a thousand times. Like I know the vaccine schedule like the back of my hand and I would mess it up and I would, and I would just feel like what's wrong with me because I've done this a thousand times. Why do I make a stupid mistake? Why do I make a stupid mistake? And my boss would do say the same thing. She'd be like, I don't know why you do everything perfectly. And then there's like a mess up. And I said, I went and I got evaluated and I came back and I worked there for like, I think four years in total. And I got diagnosed like the very last year that I worked there. And one of my coworkers who I've been with the whole time said, oh, I knew you had that the whole time. <laughs> I was wondering why you weren't medicated. I said, Damn, why, why did you not tell me? <laughs> she said, oh, I knew you had that. And so 
I just kind of like was hearing about it. And like when I was um, in high school, people would, I would get in trouble for talking, but I got straight A's. So it just kind of flew under the radar and my friends would joke about it. Like, oh, you're so ADD, you're so ADD. I was like, LOL, maybe. And so I finally just asked my doctor. No, I started my master's program and I couldn't sit down because like I had to do so much with so much more information. So like my bachelor's was hard, but it was like, do a quiz, do this paper. That's like not more than eight pages. And um, you can just like break it down into little pieces. And it's like, that's the whole, it was just like such smaller amounts of work to do that are really easy to kind of portion off. And I started my master's program and they were like, okay, do 14 pages now of a concept that you're not completely familiar with yet. You know, read two to 300 pages, write a 14 page paper on it and it, and do it now. And I was like, how do people, I can't do that. I, there's no way I can do that. I can't, I would sit down before I know it, I'm up. I'll sit down before I know it, I'm up. And I went to my doctor and I was like, I don't know how to say this because I feel like a lot of people kind of come off like medication seeking. I was like, I don't want medicine. I just want to know if this is what I'm dealing with. And I explained it to her and she sent me to get the evaluation. And that same day, he was like, oh, no, you have it and you should take something for it. And so for me, it was really, really easy. I know some people like take some months to to figure it out and go through all this stuff. So I don't know if it was so obvious to them or if I just got really lucky with people who are very understanding. Hmm. Uh, there is like a problem in America as well where they're either ignoring you when you have a medical problem mm-hmm. or they're overprescribing because they're concerned that they're, they don't want to miss it and then have you come mm-hmm. back and be mad at them. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how clear cut is it in terms of understanding if someone has I always think like, are they hot dog or not hot dog from like uh, 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 Silicon Valley when they're like trying mm-hmm. to do like an app? It's like, is it a hot dog mm-hmm. or not hot dog? How mm-hmm. how clear cut is it when someone has ADHD or not ADHD? Is it like, like it's down to a science, like we really do know and it's like mm-hmm. not hard to mess up and like give you like the wrong thing mm-hmm. or whatever, or is it kind of subjective? Um, It's both. Like people mm-hmm. who, well, you know, any like kind of neuroscience science in general is not as cookie cutter as people want it to be which it has to seem that way or no one will trust it Uh, but the nature of it is the fact that everybody's different down to our dna so they're pretty sure when they look at people who have adhd that they you know have all of these things and they can look at the brain and determine when they look at the brain the differences in people who are neurotypical versus people with adhd when they get into the thick of it it's hard to know why you have it is it a nature versus nurture problem is it genetic or do you have adhd or do you have something else that's mimicking Mm -hmm. the one thing that really overlaps is like depression anxiety and adhd have very similar symptoms and so sometimes when you go to the doctor and they give you that like depression questionnaire that they have to give you every year or whatever people with adhd will score really high on that not because they're depressed but because that's just the nature of their adhd so it'll say like do you have a problem focusing because that's a symptom of depression absolutely they have a problem focusing and it'll say like do you have interest in some activities versus others absolutely that's how adhd works is you have a lot of interest in something and then you lose interest because of the, the dopamine variation and so i think that's why some people have trouble is because they want to be sure they want to make sure you're not depressed first they want to make sure and so you have to go get 
I know for, for me, they made me get like a full psychological evaluation where they talk you through kind of everything to make sure they're not missing something else with it. And I think otherwise it just depends on your prescriber or your provider. Cause I know some of them are like the purse strings are tight on their Adderall and they're not going to give it to anybody. But my doctor had a really similar story to mine of how she found out she had it. So she was just very empathetic and nice and like, and was not, it wasn't hard to to do it for me, but I know I'm really lucky because I know some people who are similar, who have like just had a hard time getting that diagnosis and stuff. Yeah. The, it, I think uh, sometimes, I think doctors mean well, but sometimes they're, um, their way of executing on the idea of meaning well. Oh is yeah. Not very good. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I've, you know, I know I've been in like the medical field for so long. I, like, I have like good friends who are doctors and they're just great and excellent. But I also work with them who I'm like, I wouldn't trust you to put for a Tylenol. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, yeah it's just like, it's, I think that we have like an esteem for the prof- profession and there's like a power dynamic inherently that goes with it too, because you're trusting them with your whole body. But it's literally like anything else. Like you could go to Starbucks and you could be like, every time I get that barista, they make my order wrong. That's not the good one. She's not the one that makes it right. Same thing with anything else. Same thing with medicine. You might get a doctor who's honestly just passed the test. They may not be that good. Yeah, I was recently uh, getting my heart checked out with a cardiologist. And I just I just kept thinking, this guy's a dipshit. This guy's a dipshit. <laughs> this guy's a dipshit. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, you know, he like he made me wait an hour. He was there for 20 minutes. I think honestly, I think he was like hitting on the nurses and not doing his job. Probably was. Uh, I want I want them to send me uh you know, sometimes they do like a, a survey so you can say mm-hmm. like hey, this this guy was a piece of shit. Um mm-hmm. he, he was just being like air, he was being arrogant uh mm-hmm. and like really flippant. And I was like, dude, I drove an hour to get here. You were you were mm-hmm. late and you were like we're right down the road. Can you like stop and like mm-hmm. be useful? And the mm-hmm. the come the come away was he was like oh do these tests and I was like no I don't I no longer trust your judgment I like you know mm-hmm. I'm gonna go find another doctor now because you wasted mm-hmm. my time because mm-hmm. um, you have to like if you if in your gut if you're talking to someone who's making your coffee wrong essentially um, this is something that I think that it's really useful for younger people to know because for the most part the, as a percentage most people should be relatively healthy so they don't really interact with doctors a lot mm-hmm. so they don't right. know oh, yeah. oh, you don't really that? know yeah. how yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think we're about to be on the same page. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, when you finally do get sick, the, the problem with being sick is you don't have the energy to suss this stuff out. Um, yeah, because you're, called, and so, yeah. yeah, there's a name for this? Self advocacy. Okay, yes. Okay, um, but yeah, uh-huh. self advocacy. Yeah. I think for people listening in, if you're younger on down, if you're talking to a doctor, you don't have to listen to their opinions. Uh, do your research. And I'm not saying like be anti science or anything at all, but, doctors are a resource for you to get better they're mm-hmm. not the thing that's going to make you better i think like mm-hmm. that way of thinking about it, it's different i've mm-hmm. had a lot of friends who come to me because i've been in the icu and er a lot and mm-hmm. uh and i tell them like if you see it that different shift like they're a mm-hmm. service to help you that then mm-hmm. you ask questions like well if there's a service i want to know is like my check engine light like why does that mean blah blah, mm-hmm. blah. um if you ask those questions you can very quickly tell where a doctor is bullshitting you and where they're not and that's really mm-hmm. useful to know if a doctor says Hey, I'm I'm a generalist doctor. I researched this because of what you said, and this is where I think we're at. But I'm going to consult with a uh, specialist to make sure we're in the same spot. Like that was gold, right? Like you you know the person's mm-hmm. doing a good job, mm-hmm. but if you ask a question and they come off like really ignorant and they're not going to admit it, 
Like, do you, do you really want someone who won't admit that they don't know one thing to like really help you with everything else? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a yeah, lot think, to say about that. Absolutely. Cause number one, not only is my degree heavy in that topic, but also um, I had cancer when I was 22. And so I got like a crash course in navigating the healthcare system at that time. And you're a hundred percent correct. And I feel like one of the hardest things is that you hear like, Oh, get a second opinion, stand up for yourself. But when you're in a room with somebody Mm -hmm. who is experienced and they have this kind of authority over you and you're in a vulnerable place, it is hard to have the balls to say, I'm not comfortable with that. (laughs) Or I don't want to do that. And on top of that, when you go to like the larger health clinics and stuff, it's like the five minutes you get with your provider is all you're going to get. Because then you're going to call, it's going to go through the phone tree, or you're going to send a portal message and the different person, it's like going to, you know, customer service on like Amazon. <laughs> you're not going to get the same people and they're not going to understand the whole issue. And it's so difficult. And so I feel like you have to kind of find a provider that you trust. And if you don't trust them, your action might be to be kind, let it rest and find a new practice or when you go to the checkout desk, you say, is there any way I can see somebody else next time? You know, because like there's, you hear, oh, get a second opinion. But then you're like, how do I do that? Who do I call? I pick up my phone. What number do I put in here? <laughs> like, what person do I tell that to? And it's really hard to actionably do those things in, in real life when you're yeah. like faced with it. Yeah. Being sick is like having a part-time job. Oh, full-time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, it's like a part-time job once it's worked out and you know what it is. Uh-huh. If figuring it exactly. out, it's a full-time job. And exactly. it'll eat your day. It'll eat your day. Exactly. Um, exactly. It's it's awful. Like you're like and and another thing that it frustrates me that I try to be really cognizant of this when I'm dealing with people with patients and stuff, but the medical field doesn't understand that people have lives. Hmm. People have to ask off work. PTO they didn't have. PTO they wanted to spend somewhere else. And they'll say, well, can you come at two? No, we have this, an appointment at two because this doctor is only available in this office on those days. And I try so hard to be aware of that and be very flexible when I'm setting up appointments with people now because I, I get that 100%. And yeah, it's a full-time job. What can I do now? I had to leave work early and now it's three and I can't go back and I lost a whole day. So it is like a full-time, but it doesn't pay you. <laughs> you pay it. Yeah. I think the of the people who've been on the show who have talked about medical issues, it seems like women, when they're dealing with like uh, like OBGYNs, it's probably like the worst stuff I've heard so far in terms of like, I have to take a day off and then I have to drive an hour to see someone and then maybe they help me or maybe they try and take my uterus and they don't even know what the problem is. And it's like, you know, like I see my doctor, you know, maybe he like gropes me. That's about it in terms of uncomfortableness. But like, but like, like no one like threatens to remove organs of mine as like, mm-hmm. like, a, like in terms of like the feedback I've gotten. From people mm-hmm. on the show and uh listeners which everyone out there who shared I'm, I'm glad that you feel comfortable sharing with me but the like i'm sure there's other terrible things in terms of just the idea of in america you only have like what two weeks of time off a year mm-hmm. you have like three sick days imagine mm-hmm. being those train people i was reading about the train folks who were doing a strike because they, they had like one sick day a year how are mm-hmm. you supposed to see a doctor to take care of yourself and make sure you can be healthy and do your job it is asinine to me um, and then definitely. you do all of that <laughs> and you don't find the right doctor. Like you're saying, you find, you mm-hmm. find the wrong doctor or the, uh, and then you have to go through this whole process again. And so now you have uh, a week and five and four days or five days or three days. And then, 
and you're not even better yet. You're not even at the point where you're like, you know what it is, and you're ma- maintaining it. So anyone oh, yeah. out there going through this stuff, it's like, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a sadness to it in terms of like mm-hmm. you have to just accept like it's a journey. You wish, you hope that the person's going to take care of you. I think I don't know if there's any ways on the inside that you've seen to suss out who's a good one or not. I look at the reviews, but I think even the reviews are pretty curated when it's on their mm-hmm. website and stuff. Yeah, because I'm I'm looking forward to having the review of the guy I saw. I want to tank that guy's re- review score because he had a five, he had like a five, and everyone was like, "Oh, great, 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 great!" It's like, okay, but like they probably pick and choose. Um, so is there a way they've noted, uh, in the wild or otherwise, mm-hmm. for people to know if they're going, if they, mm-hmm. how to find the better doctor so they don't have to spend so much time? Mm-hmm. I think it might be just trial and error. I think that there's two things you can do. Um, I honestly, if just like point A to point B, in an ideal world, I would say you know go in knowing this might be the throwaway time. Mm. Um, so going that first time with low expectations, I would say whoever, when you go in, whoever is gets you in the room, height, weight, medical history, that's still kind of a here or there, but if you can get a good repertoire with them and tell them honestly, who do you think I should be seeing? And 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 offer them something of yourself. This is what I'm concerned about. Do you think that I'm seeing the right person? Most likely they'll be honest with you. They might, because, you know, some people might say like puppet to you, whatever. Mm. But if you can think to yourself, what is the best way to say this so that I'm not shitting on the one that I'm seeing, but I'm offering them what I'm looking for. And, you, and just tell them like, I'm looking for a doctor who is a good match in xyz respect so like you could say i'm looking for a doctor who's a for with the adhd example you could say i'm looking for a doctor who's really good with adhd who's really really good in understanding with mental health do you think that this doctor that i'm seeing is the best option or do you think there's someone else in this practice who, who, who is another or even to say another option if things don't work out with this one or as a backup because that person will know oh dr johnson or they'll say, no, you're with the right one. Or they'll say, you know, if it doesn't work out. Or even afterwards, like when you're in checkout, you can say, you know, I think the key to it is to do that like compliment sandwich thing. We're like, I enjoyed seeing this doctor. This question is still unanswered. Is there another provider here who maybe would have a different? Because a medical assistant or their nurse, they know. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who know. The other doctors, they may not. And the patients, it depends. Because some doctors like... We can't stand working with them, and then their patients love them, and that's what they say. Well, their patients love them. Well, their patients love them, and we're like, well, we hate them. <laughs> we can't stand working with them, and so, um, but the nurses are going to know because they put you in the room, and they say they already know probably what the doctor's going to say to you mo- most of the time if they're if they've been there a while. They already know what the doctor's going to say to you, what the doctor's going to order for you, and so if you can find a way in your brain to ask them that question without coming across as if you're shitting on anyone in the practice, they're going to give you the information. Yeah. I think that's really smart. The, I think the key there is the, in the last like sentence you said as well, it's like the not shitting aspect. If, mm-hmm. if you, I think even if, even if you imply in like a nice way that you weren't satisfied, I think mm-hmm. some people like people don't like that confrontation. Like it's hard exactly. for them sometimes. Uh, personally, I'll, I'll confront you on anything, but the, I know there's a lot of people mm-hmm. out there uh, right. You confront them and they get like all twitchy, and it's like as long as mm-hmm. I, personally, I think people should be able to just take confrontation as, as long as it's respectful. But um, mm-hmm. I think like just to highlight one thing that I heard there in particular at the end that I think is really worth noting is like 
you know, think out like what you're going to say and then just imagine saying that to someone that you really love. You know, if you're going to mm-hmm. talk to them and like you're really frustrated, just imagine like you're probably going to say it in a grumpy way. And then now mm-hmm. they're just really, they're less likely to help you out. I think this mm-hmm. is what, what we're both agreeing mm-hmm. on here. And so um, if you're in that moment, if you can take a pause, take a deep breath and just picture someone you love that you're saying it to them, mm-hmm. you'll say it in mm-hmm. a good way and they'll help mm-hmm. you out. Um, mm-hmm. hopefully, or at the very least, you know, point mm-hmm. in a good direction. And that's why I, I, that's circle... why I thought, I'm oh, sorry. No, go ahead. That's why I was thinking the low bar of like, if you go mm. in thinking this person's going to stop and, and, and now it's pressure. I don't feel good. This person's my only lifeline. But if you go with a lower bar, then you're not mad. You're like, well, mm-hmm. I thought this person may not be the fit. They weren't. And now I can do the next step, which was that line I practiced in the car on the way here. <laughs> And I can deliver it without coming off like a nasty person. And then I can get a better solution to what I wanted. Yeah. And then uh, just talking about ADHD, because I have heard about mental health. That's a big thing that uh, I want to talk about on the show in mm-hmm. general. But um, we talked about it a little, like, I think you gave a good example, like what it was like for you to live it. Uh, but in retrospect, was there anything, like if someone was listening in and they, is there anything that they would feel or experience that would let them know like hey i probably should see a psychologist <laughs> like mm-hmm. let them know, like like a, a medical person not like as advice but like just like something to think about like if you were born after like 85 <laughs> <laughs> probably need to see somebody for that um i think if you feel this is gonna not as tactical as i usually like to give people advice but if you feel inherently that you are bad at something just bad at a lot of things um that you're not that you're like failing but you're falling short in a lot of areas that you are genuinely trying at and to be honest with yourself be genuinely honest with yourself um and you feel and that feeling is probably not right because people who are coming from a place of like earnesty and honesty are not just failing and that's what the one of the biggest things I've noticed is kind of like shifting and learning that I was struggling with some of these things was I wasn't failing at that. And so, but when you talk to people and you say like, and they ask you like, what is it like? And I'm like, well, I'll be honest with you. Like I have yet to start and finish turning the washing machine on in the one minute time span because I distract myself from the time I'm pouring the detergent to when I was going to start the button, they think, oh, silly, and I probably did something like that. And they go, oh, I do that all the time. I do that all the time. So sometimes when you give like those little anecdotes of like, this was a symptom I had, people think, well, I have that. But when I say like, overall, if you're noticing in your life, like I feel like a huge failure for these things. I can never hack it. Probably the reason you can't hack it is because there's something underlying. So I'm like, why can't I hack just existing? Why can't I hack like a, a getting to work routine, no matter how much I try? And you've downloaded planners and you've done all the things and you've checked all the boxes they said to check and you're like, I'm still inherently a failure. Probably not. So if you sit with yourself and you feel something like that in there, it may not be ADHD, but there's probably something going on that is outside of your control mentally. And then the... Are psychic valves like a fun thing? Do they take a long time to do? <laughs> Good question. I like again, I feel like I lucked out because when mm. I got um like my doctor referred me and the guy called me and I it was like literally one of those like don't go by first impressions because 
he left a, a message on my voicemail and he was like, Hey, I don't give drugs out. And I was like, I don't want to go to this guy. Cause I already told my doctor I didn't want drugs. I actually just wanted to know, do I have it? So I could get some coping, like some accurate strategies. And, uh, but she, he was who she referred me to. So I went to him and he turned, he's been my therapist now for like three years. Um, and the, my evaluation with him was fine. He's like 84 and he's the nicest man I've ever met. And he's extremely progressive because Asheville is a very, very liberal progressive area. And so he's like really nice. Now my husband sees him too. He's like our family therapist and he's wonderful. And my psych eval with him was an hour long and he just talked to me and um, sent a little letter and said, yeah, you do have it. Do you want to keep coming back? Cause you cried <laughs> and maybe you should talk about that. And I said, sure. And um, so that was like, it was for me. Now my sister, she had to go for an evaluation for something else. Cause like now they just kind of toss you through the wash, so to speak, if you're, if you need something addressed, her situation and her experience was terrible. The person she felt the person didn't listen. She felt like she was cut off. She felt like they didn't do everything accurately. And so I really think it's another one of those, like, that's really just some shit you have to eat because we have a shortage of mental health providers in the country. We have a shortage of insurances that they will take. So even if you find a good one, you probably can't afford it. And so I had a great time. I know people have had a terrible time. Like for me, it was like fine. He like helped me so much, and he was so nice about it. Even though that first phone call was weird, I think what he was meaning to say to me was that he wasn't a psychiatrist; he's a psychologist, so he doesn't prescribe medications because he's not a doctor. Um, or he he has a doctorate, but he's not a medical doctor. But what it came off was, I'm not going to give you drugs. So he turned out to be the nicest person. Um, so. That's, that's tough. I really hate when somebody's like telling me they're going to have to go through that. I'm like, that's just part of the human experience we're going to have to go through and know that afterwards you might need to recover. Yeah. And um, is there a, I imagine there's probably an online portal, but I, I think people probably, there isn't like something that you did self-education on. There's like a resource online to help with anything on that. Um, or is it just like, kind of like, you just seem like a person that would probably like to research more things about these things. So, um, when you were going through it, was, was there a resource that helped you? Or was it really there just like is. seeing these people? Yeah. So it's a called Attitude Magazine. It's spelled A-D-D-Itude. And they have a ton of really good articles. And they also have a lot that are geared toward adults with ADHD. Because that's another thing that's tough is that everything is geared towards children. And so you'll look up like tips for ADHD. And it'll be like, talk to your teacher. And they'll help you. And I'm like, I don't have a teacher. I'm just out here doing this alone. And so they have a lot of like really good tips. One of the most helpful things I think I ever read was like to have a launch pad. So like when you go to sleep at night, you put everything you need for the next day on your launch pad. And it's just like a place on your table or like a chair next to the door. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted stuff like that. That was like buy the red folders. That's going to help your brain do the meal planning like this. That's going to help your brain and attitude. I think they have a lot of like actionable things that help oh sweet uh i don't know if i have adhd or anything like that but i'm definitely gonna check out their magazine regardless just as one person because that sounds really cool all of, it like so I, it's it's hard to find actual there's just so much on the internet you know and mm -hmm. so if someone uh like a watering hole with actual insight like you'd be surprised mm -hmm. often you can apply that to other things mm -hmm. all right so then oh, yeah. um working so you have 
this going on. Now you're probably beasting it at work. And then it made it probably ha- made it easier for you to figure out where you want to go and navigate career wise. Because then you're not like you know when you're competent in something, like, oh I can do that more, right? Yeah. Versus yeah. like, oh I just suck at this. Like like people yeah. usually if I suck at something, don't want to progress in it. So <laughs> then um I imagine after this, it's where you settled in uh working in research. So then that's my guess, but uh correct me if I'm wrong. And then uh what was that transition like? Um, it's similar kind of. I definitely didn't know that I could go towards that goal without this. So I just kind of like was told like you're you're really careless and things like that need a lot of specificity and you have to be really careful and everything's gonna be messed up if you mess it up. And so I was definitely afraid to do that kind of thing or to like to want to achieve that kind of thing because I thought I couldn't sustain it. And so um, let me think. I finished when I was when I was finishing my degree, someone reached out actually um, for looking for a job as a research coordinator. And it's something I had done a little bit of when I was in Georgia, like I worked around it, but I wasn't ever like, in the actual research floor. I was just role. I was doing like supportive stuff. And so this recruiter reached out and was like, have you thought about research? And I was like, actually, yeah, I think it's really, really cool. I would love to do that. And um, I was actually afraid to respond to her at first. And so I didn't for like two weeks. And then by the time I got in touch with her, they'd already filled the role. But uh, she said she'd like, keep me in mind. And I kept in touch with her for a few months. And once I realized like this, I kind of looked into it. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. So I was getting paid really poorly <laughs> when it was what I was doing. And so I was like, this is going to pay me more. I want that. Um, and it's going to be cool. And it's going to be like learning all this stuff. And there's like, it just checked all my boxes all of a sudden it was like oh. and so i did definitely have the confidence to pursue it once i realized like oh i'm not a failure i'm not careless i'm not terrible it's not that i'm not trying hard enough i am trying hard enough i just have a little need some extra help in some areas and once i had that i was like i had the confidence to be able to think no i can probably do that it's not going to just burst into flames after a little while and so I just like aggressively <laughs> applied to research jobs for like three months, four months. And then I got my foot in the door and it was doing research, um, doing cancer screening research. And that was really important to me because I had cancer, you know, when I was in my earlier 20s. And so I was just really special to be able to work in that. And also special to be able to be working in that in my region because we're like, there's more like, the place where I am is a city, but there's a lot of rural areas right around here. And so we don't get a lot of like research and the highest tech and everybody has to go to like the bigger cities for that kind of thing. So I want to be a part of bringing it to us here. So I was like so happy to be able to be doing both of those things, but that was a contracted job. So I was still having to interview (laughs) for everything and, and constantly looking for, for another one because it didn't have benefits, didn't have PTO or anything. And so I just kept applying, 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 and I applied to the job that I have now. And I just feel so lucky because my boss is really cool. She's one of the nicest people I've ever worked with or worked for. And everybody in our little department is like similar passions, similar interests, because it's a niche, like working in research is a niche, clinical research is a niche, like it just kind of narrows down and then everybody in your little circle is like similar to you because that's the kind of people that gravitate towards that and so now I work and it's actually in a um, GI office 
Um, but I work in a lot of um, cancer screening studies still, and we do liver studies and Crohn's studies and all sorts of stuff. It sounds fascinating. You mentioned a second ago that there's like kind of like archetypes in terms of uh, people who can that seem to be around you. Um, mm -hmm. What are I guess like kind of like a two part question? Mm -hmm. What skills do you think someone would really need to do that job well? And then are there personality types when you look around you that uh, you're like, oh, yeah, well, that like they're like me or whatever? So mm -hmm. if, I guess like the easy one is like if if, if someone's listening and feels like, wow. Mm -hmm. uh, Grace kind of sounds like me. Maybe this is like they'd be an like easier transition for them. Um, but so, what are the what are the skills, and you know, what are those like similar attributes? I guess to like mm -hmm. be to do well in this. I have uh, your ADHD uh, medicated. <laughs> um, I think one of the things I've noticed, like the people who do the best at this job and that can stick with it, are people who care about it and find it very very interesting. That's like the biggest thing of like um what i've noticed people the people who do well they care so much about it i care so much about it my coworkers care so much about it like we're excited to be part of like these like changes in medicine and be part of these research projects it's amazing it's so cool and we all have that matching care and like passion about it um so i i think like anybody who's interested should give it a try but i also think if it's not something that you a hundred percent are sold on then don't put the work in because it is a lot of work and so i definitely would say like don't dip your toe in it if you're not sold because it's going to be a lot of work you're going to have to learn a ton even if you have like a degree in this related field you're going to have to learn so much. And if it's not something that you were really excited about, it's going to suck. Because that's just going to flush it down the toilet. So while you do have to try things, um, I would learn enough about it beforehand to know this is something I can get excited about or this is something that is not sounds super cool to me. Um, as far as like similar personalities, weirdly, just like very creative and very kind people are the people mm -hmm. that I've like, gravitated towards so you kind of picture in like research and science this kind of like academic personality of people and the ones that I've run into have all been very social and very creative because that's what makes like the science run and that's what makes it work and so there are like data scientists and there are people who are doing that and they're part of it but if you're going to be part of like the face-to-face -face research and like with patients and like working with them and conducting the like, hands on the ground research are social people creative people outgoing people hmm. which then, is not um, what i expected at all yeah i think it makes sense in the sense that like you're working with people so if like you're an mm -hmm. introvert and like working with people makes you tired that, mm -hmm. that it seems like that'd be a little bit more of a struggle mm-hmm which I think you still can. Like if it's if you're super mm. passionate about it, you're it's easy to balance out. So if it is something that you had that much passion for and you thought, well, I'm introverted, you could definitely make it work for you. But I have noticed that people kind of more naturally gravitate to it are people who are social and now can just kind of move in that flow in that way. Yep. And then how long have you been in in, in that role? So I've been a coordinator for a year and a half. Mm. And then before 
when I worked um, in Atlanta, I worked for three years, two or three years. And that was just like more supportive stuff. So they had studies going around on around us. And then we just kind of had to be aware of like certain ones and how certain ones worked and stuff. Um, And so overall in research, it's probably been like four to five years, but in like a very specific research only role, it's been a year and a half. And uh, do you, is there like upward potential? Is it like senior research helper uh, coordinator is like, where, where do you see yourself going? Cause you, you know, you're a young person. So you have, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, if you worked all up until you died, you have like another like 50 years probably, but um, so oh, where, where do you see your, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, well, I think for women, your average life expectancy is much better than for, than no. for men. You get an extra decade, you get an extra decade, but hopefully you're not like working all the way up to the end. But yeah. So what, how do you see, do you have any intuition on like the future for you? <laughs> I don't want to, I, my goal <laughs> personally um and this is why i I try to like encourage people on this um Mm. like millennials i feel like we were just like indoctrinated with like the rising grind gospel you know and i'm like don't (laughs) all the other animals out here are allowed to lay in the sun you know like i i'm so happy to be where i am and this is probably the first time in my life i didn't want to go anywhere else and my boss i see her job and i don't want it (laughs) Uh, Cause she has to deal with like contracts and she, I feel like has like this pinnacle of people who don't know what they're talking about and she has to tell them. And I hate that. I think that would be a horrible job. So I don't want to be the research manager <laughs> and where we, some places will have a ladder of like coordinator one, coordinator two. And it just has to do with like what certifications you have. I am taking a test in a few months to be, um, certified so you have to work for a certain amount of time and then you can test and be certified and it gets you like a little bit more money and such but um for the most part there's like it's just the role is what it is and i'm Mm -hmm. so happy with it and i'm so like the breath that i can take not having to aggressively try to achieve the next thing so at the time from when i started my bachelor's program to when i got my master's was like five years yeah, because I wasn't, because my son is five, and that was like his whole lifespan. And so I did it. I did the reaching and the rising and grinding and working multiple jobs and stuff and being able to just like take a breath and, and go to my sister's house and eat dinner on the weekends and just have that be the life that I'm living is so nice. And I just like want to like encourage people like that we live in a late stage capitalistic society. And so you might think that's a good thing or you might think it's a bad thing, but the reality of it is that the percentage of people that are going to be like that elite level of wealthy and successful statistically is probably not you. And so if you can make a life for yourself that you're happy to go make pizza with your family or do, you know, play video games or play board games or whatever, that's the space that I'm creating right now. And I love it so much. Definitely. Um, I see your point. The a lot of times, you don't really notice how weird it is in America until you like you travel somewhere else. Now I haven't traveled, so I only get to like suck this. <laughs> I'm stealing this knowledge from other people. Yeah. But um, the like even like how we walk in America is weird compared. Like if you go to like Peru or uh, apparently you travel in Europe, Americans are just like, <laughs> like little pistons like running like around. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who was in uh, I think uh, Ecuador or Peru, like one of those uh, uh, Southern American uh, countries. 
And it took them like literally like four days to like stop walking so fast and just sit there. And they have CSs and stuff, which is kind of nice too. Mm-hmm. I think we Americans could use that. Oh I yeah, mean, we, absolutely. We're productive enough to have CSs, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Uh, I think unions need to push for those. Uh, that's probably like, the only <laughs> way people are going to get CSs. But, um, mm-hmm. but taking time for yourself. But I also think that uh, from what you were saying, and this is definitely something we want to touch on. Like mm-hmm. this job pays you enough for you to do everything you want to do in life. You have a home. Mm-hmm. You have a, a family. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, honestly, like what else is there to want? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like getting off the rat race sounds like kind of a nice thing. Cause then, mm-hmm. you know, are you going to enjoy the next 50, you know, 60 years? Or are you going to be like, oh, you know, it, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're going to enjoy them. But, mm-hmm. um, so saving up and then doing the ho- home thing, especially while millennials mm-hmm. so are younger. Uh, mm-hmm. well, I like, I like what Minnesota is doing. I was reading about this earlier today. Mm-hmm. Minnesota's outlawed private equity groups from buying up single family homes. Really? It's like, like, oh, why should a bank. Chill. <laughs> oh yeah yeah i'm like oh Amazing. minnesota we need to steal because like i'm fine with like if you wanted to get like a couple more properties and rent them out right but that's that makes sense that's fine but to mm-hmm. have like a trillion dollar corporation come in and buy up a mm-hmm. whole area for like two times uh the price of it and then no one buys it to make like a like i think one of them said uh you won't own anything you'll like it well i, I mean that's like the antithesis of america we're all about like drawing a line in the sand and saying this is mine don't cross it but mm-hmm. um so what what was it that home buying journey like was there uh any stressors there in particular was it i don't know was, was it particularly easy you know if anything like maybe did, maybe it went well for you like the, the other things that you mentioned but so what was the home buying thing like and if you d- definitely check out minnesota and what they're doing <laughs> like other people can buy other people can still buy it but like single family homes like that's like the bedrock of america so um for you what was that like it was hard it was stressful mm. i cry a lot and so just be ready for that the first of all and so i bought my home mid-pandemic like literally i put my offer in valentine's day of 2020 and um it was so stressful the i actually i bought a condo so i own it but it's like there's a caveat to that (laughs) that home ownership and i'm still very proud of it but um, turns out that the mortgage company that I went with, they didn't check. They underwrote the underwrote the whole loan without checking to see if it was FHA approved, as like a a condo townhouse um, situation. And so I got to like three days before closing, and they hiked up my interest rate, hiked up my payment, and said like this is what we're gonna do or nothing because they had to change it from a FHA loan to a conventional. Uh, so that was so stressful. The people that I was buying the home from, they were already kind of not happy to be selling it to me because I was paying them less than they wanted to get for it. And so that whole offer process was, you know, totally separate from like the getting of the loan for the home. And so I thought I wasn't going to get it. And I've been waiting so long and I'd worked really hard. <laughs> Saved up all this money. And I'm terrible. That's another thing about ADHD so hard to save money. I'm terrible at saving money. So I've never been able to save this much at once or since then. And then like I had all my stuff packed up in boxes and they said, well, like we're not going to give you the loan. We promised we were going to give you. So I had to switch lenders and I ended up, my realtor was amazing. I think that's one thing. I was like, get a good realtor. And realtors will try to sucker you in and tell you like, oh, sign this little contract with me so that I can help you find a home. And, and then get a good realtor and then if they're not working ditch them 
Like, don't, that's where you got to be cutthroat because the one that I had, she protected me so well. And she had an excellent list of vendors that she worked with. And she said, this, call this man, he will get you your loan. And I called him and he did. And I think he closed in like 20 something days, which was unreal. And he got me what's called a earned mortgage interest credit. And he, he did some magic, but it's a really interesting thing that not a lot of lenders know about where they use like your, um, the deductions you're going to use or a credit that you're going to use when you file your taxes to increase your income throughout the year. Then it, it qualifies you for the loan. So he did that for me. He did it in like 20 something days and he closed it for me. But the first people were terrible. They took like the full two to three months to close and then they didn't even close it. And so he closed it for me. I thought like while I was signing the the loan, I was like, they're going to call me and tell me that they changed their mind. And so when they called me and they said, no, the money's transferred, you, you own the home. It was like, okay, we can, we can move now. But it was a very difficult process. It was very stressful start to finish. I re- when it happened, I thought I'll never do this again. Like I'm going to die in this condo because I don't want to ever have to buy another home. It just, the, re- the realism. And I think a lot of times you see like social media, because that's just how we see people's lives now to say, I don't think social media is the devil or anything. It's just how we see people's lives now. Anytime someone buys a house, they don't say to you, like, I cried four times this month about this. They're just like, got the keys. <laughs> They're not like I had to start therapy because of this process. And so I'm like, I'm like so happy to tell people, like, realistically, this is what it's going to look like. Realistically, this is what might happen. And so that was like the actual process of it was very stressful. And I'm so happy and proud of myself because it was, you know, an accomplishment. But it was extremely hard. So how did you get them? Was it because of COVID that they were more amenable to a lower than asking price? Or did you have any <laughs> negotiation strategies there? So this is, yes. It was kind of a perfect storm in my favor in terms of getting them to accept the loan. And then once the first one fell through, I, I promised them a quick closing and then the first one fell through. Um they were kind of still under contract. So it was like, well, should, would, is it worth it to come out of the contract at this point? And they didn't think it was. So so glad they extended it. But originally I had seen this home on Zillow when everybody's like scrolling, you know, through houses that you know you're never going to buy. And I thought, I, I think I could afford that house, that, that place. And like housing prices in our area too are just unreal. They're like Los Angeles level prices. And to be like in North Carolina. So I saw it and I thought it's not exactly the right time for me. I don't have like the money saved. I couldn't like buy this today, but I just like saved it for later. And it went under contract, came off, went back on. Went under contract, came off the market, went back on. Uh, when it came back on, I was I had I had my realtor and I said, you know, let me see this house. Let me see this house. And it was a little bit out of my price range, but I was like, I just want to, I want to go look at it because it's the area that I've always wanted to live in, in our region. And we came to see it. And of course, in my head, I'm planning where all my furniture is going to (laughs) go and like making plans to live here and everything, even though it was like 
I want to say it was like $15,000 out of my price range. So it was on the edge, but like, they're only going to give you as much money as they're going to give you, you know? And so I made the offer and they rejected it. And I wrote a letter with it. And I tried to be, I'm horrible at writing, but I tried to be really honest. I said, this is who I am. And this is what my family's like. And I, I lived here my whole life. And I want to live in this house. And like a lot of places are, you know, investors are snatching up and especially in like being such a touristy area it's like an unreal rate that uh, investors are snatching up all these houses and i just said i want to live there i want to own a piece of where i live i've always loved it here my heart is here and they said no the first time and then like maybe three weeks later my realtor was like hey call me real quick and i called her and she said they changed their mind they said they were gonna sell it to you at the price that you said you could afford and uh i was like again this was like literally two weeks before the the world shut down which made things harder um and so i i do think a hundred percent that a good strategy is to to write a letter with your offer and be very honest don't don't try to fluff it up but do not try to fluff it up I'm from here. I can't afford anything else. This is what I can offer you. This is what my family's like. Like, and this is why I want your house. This is why I like it. I think that's a very realistic strategy that you can try if you are looking to make an offer on a home. And then just, and then like, if they say no, they told me no. And I thought, okay, it's not for me. And then they came back and they said, yeah, we're going to sell it to you. And so like that, those are two things right there that you can kind of realistically have in your head if you're looking to that process is like that might give you an edge because there are a lot of people who would rather sell their home to a person rather than an investor. You know, especially if it's a place they've lived before, they don't want to see it to go to to the next person who's going to knock it down or rent it out or something. Yeah, we had a, in agriculture, we have a, a thing where if you live on a farm and you're trying to sell your land, if a developer comes by and says, hey, I'm going to offer you like much more than maybe you would to buy the farm, but you want to keep the you're going to keep the farm going um, mm-hmm. for if they sell the farm to you at that disc, basically less than what they're going to get from the developer. The government mm-hmm. pays me as the, the seller, the, the, mm-hmm. the person with the land who's selling it mm-hmm. um, the difference. And the, the reason for that is, is so that we don't have farmland being disappeared for development. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, America does like pretty well with agriculture. I actually was just recently talking to mm-hmm. a lady, Connie, which you know maybe would be up by this point, but when this episode goes up, but mm-hmm. um, uh, I wonder to what extent like is there a way to like counteract these BlackRock trillionaire groups from just mm-hmm. pricing people out like you and me from mm-hmm. a, a reasonable deal? And it's not like it's not like you looking for a lot. You just want to have a roof over your head and take care of your family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that they um. That either the letter worked, or maybe they got like you know they're like oh COVID maybe we, we don't maybe have money on hand. Down, be nice. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like, yeah. I don't know what beat you down, but I'm glad it did. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, they, they never like they never told you what changed their mind. They didn't, and when I saw them at closing, like I didn't interact with them because of COVID. You know, it was like only one person can go in inside the papers or whatever. They were not. They did not look happy <laughs> to see me at all because I'm like hello, and they were like oh wow Side-eyed me, and i was like you know what i don't care i have a place to live so <laughs> have a good day and mm-hmm. i don't know 
they said, I think one of the reasons was because the contract had fallen through those several times. And at this point, they just, and the people they had originally tried to sell it to, both two or three, however many people, had been investors. Yeah. So they were trying to flip it. They had rented it out. They hadn't lived here. And they were trying to flip it to the next person to invest it. And both of those investors were flippant about it. They were like, oh, I guess I couldn't afford it. Or I guess my finances weren't what they thought they were. You know, go on your way. It didn't matter to them. And I was going to close. I was going to live here. So I think that was one of the reasons they kind of took it. Because it was a sure thing. I was definitely going to live here. And definitely going to go through with the sale. I wonder, I wonder if there's like a setting or something you can do on Zillow. Or definitely a question asked. Mm-hmm. How many times has someone made an offer on this place and it fallen through? Mm-hmm. And that should tell you like, you know, uh, Maybe they're a little bit more minimal to a better deal. Well, you can look sometimes, like if you scroll down, you can see like under contract, back on record, under contract. But you have to search. You can't just like filter it that way. You have to look and scroll yeah. and it'll tell you like how many times. And it'll tell you how much it went under contract for too. And I'm like, I look out for that. <laughs> yeah, there was a there's a place, I think like a hundred miles from me. Because sometimes it's just fun to see what people do oh, with yeah. their properties. Yeah. And oh, yeah. uh, and they were they were like I felt like there was an ask. It was like a like a four hundred thousand dollar ask for this like dinky of a thing. And then I look, I saw it like a couple months later, and they dropped the price by a hundred thousand. I was like, yeah, that, mm-hmm. that that's what you should do. Uh, like, oh, even, I, I even then, they didn't get it. It's still sitting there. I yeah. think it's funny. It makes me mad because I was looking the other day, um, and like <laughs> someone had dropped the price like fifty grand, and I was so mad because I was like, that means you were trying to get fifty grand more. Than like what you could sell it for, than what you can get for it. You were just trying to to what? Oh, it infuriates me. <laughs> and I say all the time, like I don't even believe, like the amount of inflation that's happened, it's not real. Because like technically, my house has appreciated a hundred thousand dollars in three years. That's not real. Nothing gains a hundred thousand dollars in value in three years. It's not made of gold. That's yeah, not it's been memories, which are were gold in a different way. <laughs> yeah, it's important know. to me, but I'm like, I'm not dumb. This isn't a suddenly a hundred thousand. If anything, it's less because I've gotten life out of it and I've used it. So if anything, it's less valuable than when I bought it. I mean, but no, not to anyone who might buy my house in the future. It's very valuable. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different house. This is, the, the house you're living in now is a different house. It's different, you know, they, yeah. they don't know it's the same one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm then, definitely uh, improving it as we speak. <laughs> yes. The uh, and then the one big thing that you do in conjunction with everything we just talked about mm-hmm. is you have the podcast that we mentioned in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell tell us like where where that came about and mm-hmm. why you do it. Um, I actually rather enjoyed it, so I hope, so hopefully glad. other people will check it out as well. Yeah, I'm so glad. So I just like born of a lot of things, um, but mainly I love podcasts and I love podcasts for so long. I guess a part of my personality <laughs> is that I just love podcasts. This is a way to ingest information, audiobooks, podcasts, you know, and part of that being ADHD, that you can do things and have it in your ears and it helps you mm. focus, but then also you're learning things. I just love it. And so I always thought it would be cool to have a podcast, but I was like, no, I don't know what it would be about. I don't know what I have to say. And I'm, I don't want to just have like another bantering session because people are much funnier than us. So, or than me and my sister, like, you know, we're medium funny. So like, what, what's that going to be? And then, so I had that kind of arena. And then I have this part of myself that I love to read, very niche. I love to read like Wikipedia summaries of movies. Like maybe I wasn't going to get around to watch. It's so satisfying. It's like 
three three to five minutes of reading and you know the plot. I, it's and it's like my husband will be like, "Are you looking up the plot? Don't do that. <laughs> it ruins the movie." And I'm like, "No, I just I just have to read it. I have to read what's going to happen." So there's that piece of it that I just like love a good summary. Of, and then maybe I don't want to watch it, or maybe I do, but I know what happens. I know what people are talking about too when they like talking about. Oh, you know that movie? I'm like, well, I've read the Wikipedia <laughs> summary, so I know it pretty well. And then like the third piece of it was that I noticed that I had gotten back into reading um, after not doing it for a while, and that I would make my sister like I'll come home and I'll take my dog out, and she watches my son, so she's here when I get home every day, and I'm like, hey, come come out here and walk. And she'll be like, what? And I'll be like, guess what I just read? And then I'll be like rehashing the plot to her. And I'll be like, oh, can you believe this part happened? And then this thing. And then I thought, wait a second. What if I just married all of these things? <laughs> I make her listen to me talk about the book that I'm reading. I summarize it in the ways that I like things to be summarized. And it's a podcast. And I just like marry them all together. And, and most of the time I would say, and this happened. And she'd go, oh gosh. Or like I'll or I'll make her read the book with me. And then she hates it because I made her read it. And it was a book that she hated. And so it just kind of like solved all of the problems that I'll summarize the book in enough detail that you could read it or you don't have to. And then she'll scream at me about the stuff that she hated because she was going to do that anyway. And also we get to have a podcast, which is something I just love to do and to have. And I just married then, um, all the concepts. Yeah, What's the website? I Honestly, I I forgot what the website. I think so. Um, I can't guess it. What's the website for people to look it up? Yeah. So we have a link tree, but the best way to find to find us is you can go on TikTok. It's at Screecher Pod is the name, and also on Instagram, Screecher Pod is the name. And either of those places will have like clips for of little tidbits mm. that we've had, and then you can also click the link to find different places that you can um, listen to it. We also have a middle middle met episodes that we do every week where we're just like telling each other weird stuff that we found out this week, like weird stuff that we came across. And those episodes are much more popular than I thought they would be. Because again, I thought we were like medium funny, <laughs> but I thought those weren't going to be popular at all. But some of them are more popular than our, even like our plot summary episodes. And so uh, we have a lot of little videos of those on our TikTok and our Instagram. Great. And uh, I know we're coming to the end. So I just want, uh, to thank you again for coming on the show today uh sharing your experience i mean uh talking about mental health just in that alone is something that most people don't do and so mm -hmm. sharing that you went from feeling you know kind of crummy about yourself to now having a fulfilling job uh mm -hmm. a house that you negotiated and got a great deal on which is kind of mm -hmm. nice too you didn't get mm -hmm. taken advantage of um but i just want i want to thank you for coming on the show today well, thank you for having me it was so good to talk to you